This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That I'm in the company of football presenting royalty tonight, and my guest is is known to so many for his his, his star role in the iconic Gazetta Football Italia. More currently, he works on the Totally Football Show. He also works on the BT Goal Show for the Champions League coverage. And that man is, of course, James Richardson. James, thank you for joining me. That's a, uh, it's a pleasure, Callum. Lovely to see you. Uh, you look far too young, though, to know anything about Football Italia. <laughs> well, you say that, and you are right. I'm, I'm 25, but having mm. grown up in a household that was football crazy, the, the archives of Football Italia were, were shown to me on, on the way of growing up. And since YouTube came around, I've, I've watched it constantly. Right, interesting. So does your family have its own kind of VHS uh, archive of this, then? So in plenty of recordings of it um, from back in the day. Uh, it's interesting, family members of mine that grew up in that era, cousins and uncles, there's some uh-huh. Sampdoria fans there, there's some Inter fans there, there's, there's some Milan fans there. So it was an interesting time, as, as we'll discuss. But for me, growing up, Italian football, because of the experience they had in the 90s, was something mm-hmm. that was put into my mind straight away. Right, yeah, I mean, it was a... It was an iconic era, certainly. To, to talk about more current times, first of all, before we, we go down memory lane with Gazetta, I want to talk to you in particular about the, the BT Goal Show with Rafa Honigstein, who I've spoken to, and, and, right. James, uh, and James Honigstein, Julian Larongs. What is that show like to be a part of? Because as a viewer, I can only say that I absolutely love it because you get the goals, you get the action, you get the wit and the banter between all of you as well, particularly between Jules and, and James when there's a when there's an incident involving Paris Saint-Germain. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a really nice show to be involved in. It, it, it's the, the concept, something of an open goal, because uh, I think any show that brings you the goals from some of the top clubs, I mean, uh, the top clubs in, in Europe uh, is, is, is going to be uh, pretty watchable stuff. And the great thing is that BT have, have gone down the route of having people with actual kind of expertise as opposed to necessarily people who who played the game. Uh, people who played the game obviously have a unique perspective and often can shed light on things or can give you an understanding of what it's like for players that you wouldn't otherwise get. But I think when you're dealing with uh, the variety of European sides that we are, there's, there's really no substitute for having people who are, who are able to provide some context for, for the action, for the results, for what this all means, for where these clubs are coming from, uh, all those kind of things. And, and, and uh, it's a pretty unique bunch that we have that, that are able to do that for us. Uh, James obviously is English, but Julian and, and Rafa are not. And um, their level of communication uh, is is, uh, is is pretty excellent, uh, you know, given that it's not even their first language. When you consider football and, and the crazy goings-on that can occur in any match day in the Champions League, what's it like for from your perspective as the host? Because obviously you, you go to the key incidents and goals, but as you know, there can be plenty of goals that occur roughly at the same time. How do you manage that? Well, that's good when loads of goals happen at the same time. That's the easy bit because then we just link from one goal to another. And generally, those are covered by uh, the actual commentary uh, that's, you know, the, the original match co- commentary. And then we, we basically just link between them and then have a bit of reaction afterwards. Uh, the, the times that are perhaps more challenging is when you get, say, a, first, a set of first halves that only contain, say, three goals, which means that you're talking about other things. But it's okay because not only are the guys so steeped in European knowledge but also there are so many talking points in in in, in the various leagues that we're we're covering that there's um that there's uh, there's no shortage of things to to chat about in fact sometimes the games get the goals get in the way frankly 
<laughs> and in terms of the, the chemistry between yourself and, uh, and the guys, I mean, they've, they've all got their, their own football clubs. Julian, of course, is very passionate about all things Paris. Do you enjoy mm. winding him up about that off-air as well as on-air? Well, Jules is quite sensitive, so we don't like to wind him up too much because, uh, you know, uh, but uh, no, it, it's true that he, he he has painted a large kind of target on his back with his, his, old, uh, his old Paris Saint-Germain uh, heart on the sleeve uh, support. He's, um, and I think it's nice. It's, it's something that brings a, another element to the show. You know, not only are we watching how, how say, 12 football teams are getting on, but we're also watching how Julien's coping with the emotional rigours of following Paris Saint-Germain in Europe, which is, you know, it's quite a roller coaster ride. So, um, yeah, we, we try not to rib him too much about it because, you know, it is, it is its own punishment being a PSG fan. <laughs> and in terms of other projects that you've got on in regards to football that are, are, are current, um, the Totally Football Show, obviously associated now with The Athletic, has been for, for a good while now. What's mm -hmm. it like recording shows like that where you're, you're not live as such? So doing podcasts, uh, doing stuff that's not live is in some ways it's uh, easier because you can stop and go back and change things. But the, I think most people prefer doing stuff live because, you know, once it's done, it's done. And also it, 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 it kind of lights a bit of a fire under you. So you, you tend to kind of perform at a slightly more switched on level because, you know, there is no... Um, I would call it a safety net, but you know, really it's not like you're going to fall to your death uh, or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, there's no kind of, there's no ability to go back and redo things. But the problem is, you know, anyone who's written stuff or done stuff recorded will, will know that if you do have the ability to go back and redo things, then then you tend to do so ad infinitum. Um, the Totally Football Show is really, really nice. I mean, things have changed with the, with the lockdown because now we do everything remotely. Uh, but it was, uh, it's been really, uh, it's, it was a really uh, rewarding thing. That sounds a bit kind of corporate, but um, it was a real joy for myself and, and, and a guy called Ben Green, who we used to work together on Football Weekly at The Guardian to, to be able to set up our own thing and, and, uh, and, and see that kind of grow and, and, and continue. And then we've kind of branched off into doing other, other things as well. But um but uh, th so that's been a real pleasure. It's a shame we can't meet up anymore, but I think everyone's kind of adjusted to the fact that now you're listening to voices from different places, uh, which, which certainly makes it easier to get hold of people because we don't have to you know, force everyone to trudge into the same uh, studio. But I, I mean, totally is a joy and a real privilege to do. And I, I mean, I genuinely mean that the, the notion that I can kind of essentially go to a cupboard in my study and, and sit there and discuss and find out you know what what actually happened beyond the results can you know, like get the in, informed opinions of of our guests on, on on football a couple of times a week is uh it's and, and and call that a living that's i mean it's uh i feel pretty lucky about that another thing i, I want to touch on just before we talk about gazetta is world's strongest man i was watching it ah. on television recently it's something again that so many of us uh grew up with it's it's a sort of show that for whatever reason Whenever it's on, you can't, for me anyway, I can't help but, but turn it on. I want to see what's going on. What's it like yeah. being involved in, in, in that environment? Well, I, I love World's Strongest Man. It's, it's kind of, uh, it's probably my favourite week of the year, actually. Uh, the, uh, the, in the past, we were, I mean, hmm, things again have changed a little bit with the lockdown. And, and the last one was very much affected by that. But generally speaking, you get to go to some really interesting place hang out with a bunch of people that uh, uh, you probably haven't seen them since the previous year, but everybody gets on really, really well. So there's always a bit of a reunion feel. Uh, but the biggest thing is the, the composition, which as you say, is, is just hypnotic. Uh, there's something, I don't know, that goes beyond sporting disciplines can be fascinating. And, you know, sometimes it's because of the backstories or sometimes it's because of the just the physical ability on display or the, 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 the levels of coordination or whatever it is, or the grace, et cetera. With Strongman, it's just this kind of gobsmacking extreme, uh, this, this, this kind of almost logic-defying strength that you see of people picking up uh, or, or flinging vast weights or, or whatever it is they're doing or dragging kind of a couple of 10-ton trucks or it, just whatever ludicrous stuff they're up to uh, this time. And it's so... Um, it's so immediate as well. 
you know, you can have championships that go on for nine months. You can have games that last 90 minutes, whatever. Each little bit of strongman is succeed or fail. And it's right there. It's, you know, at most maybe a minute's worth. And you can see someone of just an extreme physical condition, just beyond anything, kind of almost like a, a paranormal, ultra normal kind of physical specimen doing something and they either succeed or they fail. And uh, there's some palm trees in the background and it's all brilliant. I always think with that show, as a viewer at home, you just look and you marvel, as you say, at the strength and, 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 and the challenges that, that they face. For you, being in the environment and being able to see that firsthand, uh, do you find yourself having a lot of moments where your jaw's dropping or your eyebrows are permanently raised? Yeah, no question. It, it, it's um, amazing to see firsthand. I think that comes across a lot on TV. And the fact that we can we can bring statistics, the commentators, Danny Wallace and Colin Bryce, do a fantastic job, I think, of, of giving some context because you can almost get kind of uh, strong man fatigue. It can become normal almost seeing these big guys because they are all so big that, you know, in the end of the almost just like one big man blurring into another. One of the things about actually being there, and I think one of the reasons they employ me for this is that I'm so uh, small compared to them that it does give a bit of human context. So kind of being around them, it does kind of remind you of the fact that these are genuinely giant guys. People like Brian Shaw are really, you know, it looks like you've probably seen Lord of the Rings, the bit at the start of that where Gandalf goes to Hobbiton and, and meets up and they have to do a lot of trickery to get the, you know, the, the little people and the Gandalf, etc. With World Strongest Man, it's like that in real life because I'm kind of wandering around and bumping into their kneecaps and stuff. But uh, it, it is, it is um, yeah, and it's extraordinarily weak in so many ways. I mean, also because this is a, a sport that does, can do huge physical damage when you see people ripping their biceps off and damaging their bodies in the long term as well. Uh, and they're not doing it for money. Uh, I mean, they're really not. It's not a particularly well-paid uh, sport. The prize money for World's Strongest Man is not anything earth-shattering. certainly doesn't compare to a lot of less demanding physical pursuits. But these guys have just been bitten by the bug. They've started to push the limits of how far uh, they can be, uh, how far they can develop their own strength. And then once they get beyond that, how, how far they can push the limits of, you know, recorded strength. You get people like Eddie Hall, who's not the biggest guy in the world, just becoming absolutely obsessed with the notion of being the first guy to, to deadlift, to basically lift a bar with half a ton of weight on it off the floor and, and you know, to the point which he can straighten his back and do a successful lockout on a on a deadlift, and and just almost virtually killing himself doing it, uh, it is it, really incredible. And doing it, as I say, not for the money. I mean, Eddie's done well out of Strongman, and Strongman's done well out of Eddie, and it's going to be fascinating to see what he does with his next pursuit, which is trying to knock uh, Hapsaw the Mountain Bjornsson out in a boxing ring. But just these guys are, are, are very, very committed, just extraordinary people. And kind of one other thing to throw into this is that, and I hope this does come across on TV, is that they are scary individuals. I mean, physically, they are incredibly powerful and they can look fairly fearsome as well. But they are the nicest, most down-to-earth group of people, not only to kind of the people around them, you know, the people like me or whatever, but also to each other. I mean, they're competing for the biggest prize and yet there they are kind of helping each other, geeing each other on, uh, giving each other support. I, I think it's a phenomenal thing, Strongman. Absolutely. It's definitely a show that that that, that captivates the audience. And, and I agree, it comes across well on, on television, as does the, the next show that we just simply have to discuss. I, I know you're asked about it so often, but Gazetta Football Italia is, is, is just it's iconic. Um, I spoke to Jonathan Grade recently, and, and the last question I asked him it was, do you think something like Gazetta could ever be repeated again? And and his answer was an emphatic no. It, it was a period of time that was special. You consider that how different the world was back then in the 90s, because obviously we've got lots of things at our fingertips now. Mm. For you, uh, Gaza goes to Lazio, Channel 4 buy those rights. I believe the initial idea was for Gaza to be the presenter and, and for you to be a reporter. Yeah, that's right. I mean, my job was really to be... Um in charge of getting him in front of a camera once a week to record his links, to record a little kind of interview or a little diary section with him talking about his life there. It wasn't just the football that was of a massive interest to everyone around the world. It was also Gaza because he was the biggest player that 
England certainly had produced for generations. He'd been out of the game for 18 months. While this move had gone on, he'd had that iconic role in World Cup uh, Italia 90. And uh, all of a sudden, we had the exclusive rights to see how he was going to fare back in football in the most difficult, most glamorous league in the world. So you know, that was huge. So my job essentially was to go out there and, and get stuff recorded with him every Thursday. And, and as I think probably by now, a lot of people know that broke down fairly quickly. And, and, and you know, essentially I had to kind of do the links myself, which was a, was, was a stroke of good fortune in terms of my career. Paul concentrated on the football. Uh, but he was, I mean, he was just such a natural on camera. Uh, extraordinary not so good on the timekeeping but in terms of actually just having character and charisma and personality and just being an entertainer just remarkable just a remarkable guy um but anyway yeah so that's how it all began with me basically going out to Italy on the basis of the fact that I had some tv experience and could speak Italian and would hopefully be able to kind of babysit that part of the production what was your initial reaction when when you were that made the the main presenter because it, it was as you said it was an incredible thing for your career and and also an incredible thing for the show because you are synonymous of course with the show and and the links the sketches everything everything was just very unique to, to compared to what was on offer at the time right well so when i started yeah i did have a kind of small on-screen role i was going to be a, the the reporter which was a kind of vaguely farcical idea i was working at the time as a kind of assistant producer at Sky Sports. And um, I'd not really, I hadn't really presented or anything like that. As I say, the big thing was that I could speak Italian. So I genuinely thought that I would be coming home at the end of, I'd be lucky to make it to the end of the season. Football fans, you know, football viewers can be fairly uh, uncharitable. Well, I don't know, maybe uncharitable is not fair, but I, I think they have certain expectations about, uh, the level of kind of expertise of the people who are who have the you know the luxury of, of talking about football on TV, and I, I didn't think I was going to m- match up to that. I think the fact that it was a foreign league and a, and a new league for, for for most of the audience, you know, gave me a little bit, allowed me a little bit of leeway, and 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 uh, so so perhaps I was allowed a little bit more. Uh, I was given a little bit more understanding than 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 others might have had. Um, but it was so yeah, I was really happy to have it. I was delighted to be moving to Italy, duh. And uh, I was slightly nervous about how I was going to be received. But um, at first, it was a, a reporting role. And then it kind of just kind of, the first year was, I began, I began doing the links. And I was, to be honest, I'd enjoyed doing the reporting bit. So I was pretty happy to be doing that as well. I was always going to be doing the newspaper. So it wasn't that much of a leap to doing the other links around the rest of the show. Then the second year is when I started presenting the Sunday uh, show, the, the the live game. So again, that kind of leapt up another level, but it, it wasn't kind of just like presenter from the word go. The, the one thing I would say though, is that, um, and I think this is probably why Grado uh, thinks that, that that kind of show could, or that kind of impact, it would be hard to replicate for any show now. And it, it is because that show was the only one of its kind. And now we all have so much stuff uh, from all the different leagues so in football terms, it'd be really difficult to to bring somebody uh, to bring an audience that kind of a show without them already knowing like a billion times more than you do about those leagues or having the ability to already have seen the highlights and stuff. I mean, it, it was just a, a, a it was a very offline time, you know. In terms of your presenting style, James, it's it's always fascinated me because it's very conversational. As a viewer, it draws you in. You're, you're a very engaging presenter. Is that something that you worked on or, or is that just the way that things have always came to you naturally? Because it's very unique in my opinion. Oh, okay. Well, th- thank you very much. I um, I wouldn't say that it's something that I particularly tried to do, but I think what I didn't try to do was to be the kind of voice of authority on TV for the very simple reason that I wasn't an authority on TV. I was just a guy who happened to be in Italy and to an extent was learning alongside the, the viewers with, with uh, alongside the viewers about this extraordinary league and the extraordinary stuff going on off the field and the even more extraordinary stuff happening off there. So from that point of view, I think it would have been really weird to give it the full Dimbleby, you know, stand up and be kind of this, 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 and that, 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 because I, I wasn't in that position, essentially. I was a guy and um, 
and I think I, I don't know. I, I I think there are other people who who present in this kind of more informal fashion. I mean, this was a the, the to begin with. Certainly, the only presenting I was doing was on the 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 one hour highlight show uh, highlights of games that had happened the previous weekend. I mean, it it's not the news. Um, so yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I find it fascinating. That's why I was asking whether you have an archive of it, because I do find it interesting to go back and watch, um, watch the uh, watch some of those early shows again to see kind of how I how I approached it. Because it, I mean, it, it was a big leap for me at the time, and um, and it was almost like a, a bit of a joke that I was sharing with the audience, if that makes sense. The fact that it was slightly absurd that that I was stood there talking about football. So, you know, here I'm going to stand here and talk about football, but I, I think we both know that there's something very wrong here. <laughs> you, you, you've hinted at it there. Were you a big follower of football pre-Gazetta? So I've become slightly obsessed by Italian football, interestingly, uh, because I've become slightly obsessed with a girl in, in Rome. And, um, you know, there was a, a certain amount of cultural... Oh, I'm not going to say baggage, but there was a certain amount of kind of like cultural accoutrements that... That, that, that came with that. And uh, I was actually, uh, I, I didn't come from a football background at all. Italian 90 was the first uh, world, I mean, 86, I watched, etc. But it was 90 that, like for so many people, I think have really lit a fire uh, with me, uh, within me for, for the game. And then from there on in, it was, it was Italian football, which turned out to be pretty handy because that's, you know, that's where the work came. And uh, and then after that, um, you know, I've been doing it just to football ever since, which is it's pretty remarkable. It's a testament to, you know, the, the fact that once you stand on TV and talk about something, people assume you know what you're talking about and will often engage you to, to keep doing the same, despite, you know, a lot of evidence to the contrary. <laughs> One of the, the, the aspects of the show that, that also... Um, captured so many viewers' eyes was the fact that you weren't only presenting live football from Italy. In a sense, you were bringing the country of Italy to to the front rooms of people in the UK. And again, nowadays, yes, people can go onto YouTube and maybe watch Roman 4K or whatever, but they couldn't do that then. So you were showing them wow. a part, parts of Italy that they would never have had the opportunity to, to see before unless they'd, of course, travelled there. Yeah, I think that was one of the strengths of the show. And I'm not sure if it was accidental or not. Um, it, it, certainly, if you were going to base a show in Italy about Italian football, I think job one would be to show as much of Italy as possible. It's it's such a glorious backdrop to any kind of uh, TV production that, that that you'd be pretty mad to go, yeah, let's get a studio and sit in that. But the other thing was, we I don't think we had the budget for a studio. So I don't think we had the budget for news footage. So things like you can sit in a cafe and just get hold some newspapers up and not be our news report. Um, th that's how all that came about, but it was, it worked out fine because people, as you say, you know, I think appreciated as much as anything that, that slice of the kind of Roman or the, the, the Italian lifestyle. Uh, I mean, I hope it came across. I think the fact that I was living there meant that I, I wasn't even aware almost of, of, of the fact that this wasn't normal life for, for a lot of the, the audience. I mean, I kind of was, but I wasn't. And years later, I did a, a kind of brief reprise of Gazetta for uh, a channel called Bravo. Don't look for it, it's not there anymore. And I used to go out from England to do that for a couple of days a week to Italy, film stuff and come back. And that really brought it home with the fact that it, it really was a window into uh, another world. So I'm, I'm very happy that you say that you, you got that sense from, from the old Gazetta because, um, yeah, absolutely. There were so many. There were so many kind of selling points for that show. One was the football, but a massive one was Italy. One of the questions that I'm desperate to ask you: um, you, you talked about being in the cafe with the newspapers. Did you eat the ice cream? So, um, where possible, yeah. But I was often on a really tight schedule by the time I wrote uh, filmed the news. So, the, and the news, I was, I was actually really bad. I, I know it looked like I was basically doing just sat there for five minutes and just talking but but what I'd have is a couple of pages of A4 which I'd written out I didn't have an autocue because I'd never kind of thought about having an autocue so essentially I would record it in chunks from these A4 notes I'd written out a couple of times in biro by the time I got through all of that it, it generally I was kind of half an hour late for wherever I had to get to like sending the tapes back to London or whatever where possible 
uh, I ate the ice creams, but sometimes the logistics were, this is a really dull answer actually, isn't it? Shall I give you a different one? Say, yes, I lived for the ice cream. It, 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 it essentially ruined my diet for the rest of my life because I still, um, I still live like I'm filming a, a news report for Gazette Football Italia and uh, you know, cake, ice cream, the, the works. So yeah, I mean, there were some absolutely massive ones, but I, I considered it a point of pride to, to, to do damage to them. One of the, the the aspects that's that's interesting is is how the, even the people that worked on the show um, remember the atmosphere that was created on and off screen. I mean, Paul Elliott famously described the show as being like in a classroom and you were the sort of naughty school teacher, um, which I thought was quite an apt description. Well, I was really, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised at that. I mean, I'm happy. It sounds to be, a, it sounds like it's a, a kind of positive thing. And Paul was a, such a delight to work with. And to kind of you know hang out with um but yeah as i say the idea of me being the school teacher of any or the teacher of anything was something that i guess you get that because you're on tv so it converse can confers some notion of kind of authority but um but yeah i don't know uh sorry i'm being a bit vague about my answer here uh was sorry what was the question was that an intentional thing or, or words it just, uh, just he he captured the the the, hmm. the atmosphere seems... as someone involved in it as well. He it's right. interesting how the point I'm trying to make is as a viewer, that's the way it came across. But even for people okay. working on the show, that atmosphere and that environment was exactly the same as to what we were getting back. Well, I'm really happy that Paul Paul says that, and and he was he's such a nice chap as well. Uh, it was always great to see him. He would fly out quite often. Uh, on the Sunday and meet us at wherever we were doing the game. And so we'd spend a couple of hours perched on a, on a, on a desk at the back of the, the kind of press stand in whichever stadium we were in. But it was, a, it was an absolutely chaotic uh, experience, the Sunday show, because we didn't, you know, generally a proper TV production will have, they'll have a box and there'll be kind of people sorting everything out, et cetera. But we literally would have a couple of press passes. So we'd, we'd kind of get to the back of the stands. We'd have, a camera on a tripod and we'd basically point it we'd sit on the desks usually or maybe stand up somewhere uh, and um and, and and then kind of and people would wander by you know just stuff would happen and uh, it, it was just it was quite random when you consider that we were essentially anchoring a couple of hours of, of, of channel four sunday afternoon but it was it was just two guys and a camera in the back of some press stand somewhere um but yes a naughty school teacher Huh, interesting. <laughs> as well as, uh, obviously, from your perspective, loving life, living in Italy, traveling, the, the scenery, the, the, the beauty that the country has, the football was absolutely fantastic as well. Between 1989 and 98, nine out of the 10 Champions League finals featured Italian teams, four Italian sides won it. The UEFA Cup had 14 Italian finalists between 89 and 95, and, and they won six out of the seven. I mean, when you look at that era, not only was it an era that's fondly remembered for the broadcasting um, and, and the show, but the football on offer was absolutely sublime as well. Mm. Yeah, it was remarkable, wasn't it? Um, as you say, so dominant in terms of the European competitions and in terms of the talents that would come into Syria. There were very, very few of the, the kind of really top names that didn't pass through one of the big Italian clubs. And you had, at the time, such competitiveness between between the big sides, the famous Seven Sisters, all of whom were considered certainly kind of like late 90s period to be genuine contenders for the title each year. So it was a pretty unique time for Italy, certainly. I mean, Premier League right now is hugely... Uh, in, hugely impressive hugely entertaining and I imagine if you were say an Italian guy doing a, a one-hour show of Premier League highlights for the folks back in Italy you'd probably have a pretty excellent show as well the Premier League can't claim the same dominance in in Europe uh, that the Italian side had and I think that was one of the interesting things about City because City had that it also had the really competitive title races which say for example Spain has had massive dominance in Europe but it hasn't had that same competitiveness of of title races and then you had all the bonkers stuff going on with all the mad presidents and stuff off the field so i mean it was it was just the perfect time and for it for an english audience as well the fact that you had to begin with certainly not just gaza but also platt 
but there's Walker briefly, Paul Ince later on. You had all these stadia that have been the backdrop of the most successful England campaign of, of in an international tournament for, you know, for just, well, probably since 66, actually. So it was, it was just a wonderful coming together of elements. And there was nothing, as we've said, there was nothing, there was no new YouTube, there was nothing really else like that. Foreign football on TV, stuff of madness. You mentioned Paul Ince there, and the reason I want mm. to, to to mention him to you again is when I watched the documentary you made for BT Sport about that era, the interview you had with Paul Ince was absolutely fantastic. You always seemed to have a strong relationship with Paul. But well, I, I think it was helped by the fact that um, Paul came out to Italy, and he, he didn't. I don't think he had a huge number of people around him. Gaz always had that kind of like an entourage, but Paul uh, had had his family but um i think he he was quite happy to see a familiar face from back home and by the time he went out was when 95 so the show had been up for three years or so and it did used to get watched by a lot of premier league players you know they would be on in the morning before they went out for the games on saturday so uh, he i guess knew me from that and he was um he was he was great fun, Paul. I mean, um, just such a nice guy. I stayed over with him sometimes when I was up in in Como, filming bits for for his parts in the show. And he was just really down to earth guy, and uh, him and his family really really nice. Yeah, it was great great having him on. As well as the superstars of the time, like Paul Inns, Paul Gascoigne from from um, the UK, you also worked with some legends who are sadly no longer with us. Peter Brackley, of course, in commentary. Ray Wilkins was was oh, yeah. was an analyst as well, who obviously played in in Italian football. What was it like working with so many legends, Kenneth, Kenneth Wilson, Holm? There's the, the the names right reel off the the tongue. So. It was a matter of great pride for me that I was working on a show that had those people on it. You know, it's. It was, uh, it obviously felt great working on Football Italian because that's Football Italian. But one of the reasons was that you knew it was something special because of, it had those people on it. So I don't know. It was just, it was just really comforting to know that you, you, you had a, a, a place in a team alongside people like that. I didn't, you know, one thing that I, I actually didn't have that much contact with Ray, Peter or, or Ken because I was in Italy and they were all basically doing the work back in London. Uh, I would see them from time to time. Sometimes I would basically kind of bring the tapes back from Italy on a Thursday night, get a free flight to London because I'd be couriering the, the stuff that we'd recorded. And then I'd see maybe Ken on the, on the, um, on the Friday when they were editing everything in, in, a, in an editing uh, place in, in North London for the Saturday morning show. But generally speaking, I, I wouldn't really see them very much. Um, I didn't meet actually Ray Wilkins until I think it was about 97 or 98 when he came out for the first time to actually be a, a guest in the, in the, in the stadium. Prior to that, he'd always been kind of the, the classic co-coms alongside Peter Brackley and a pair of them doing just, I mean, I don't know if that'll ever be beaten for, for me as a, as a commentary pairing. I know there are some great commentators out there, but that for me would be my kind of, my dream team but yeah so I didn't actually meet him until the show was about six years old um so but when I you know and then I had the chance to work with him loads of times afterwards and and as I think everybody is kind of I don't think there's anyone who doesn't say he was a really 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 special guy Peter Brackley just a genius of a commentator absolutely loved his work and Ken um, kind of I think Ken what Ken brought to that show was not only the fact that he was a brilliant a voice um, played a little bit on his legend as well that kind of avuncular warmth he brought to everything but also the fact that he was Ken Walsenhome uh, just just incredible to have all those people involved in the one show it really was a pretty unique kind of thing that came together there and and um, I can understand why Jonathan Gray says it what, what couldn't happen again I do think though that if you were to take uh, if you were to take an hour of TV and put some goals in it and put some you know, put some exotic foreign backdrop and, and, and put a bit of kind of travel travel stuff telling people, what, you know, who are the people behind all the, all of this, then I think you would still have, you know, I mean, the things that made, say, Gazetta interesting, I think it's still interesting. And it's not like there's a lot of shows like that uh, these days. In fact, I'm struggling to think of one. So, you know, by, by all means, anyone who's listening who, who has a spare hour on a Saturday morning, let, let's do it. Also, 
Elvis Costello, Paul Heaton. You get these icons of music and popular culture onto the show as well. One of the I things that, that, that made me smile about Paul was he really took it to, to heart and he, he really put his heart and soul into going on the show. He talked about writing notes to study games before he would he would speak on, on the show because he just he didn't want to go there and come across as someone who was there for the day out. He wanted to try and contribute as best he could. Right. So, uh, okay, that's interesting because Paul, um, actually, I, I was quite shocked at just how much he knew. I mean, I knew he knew a lot, but he came out for a game, I think we were in Palmer, and he well, he could quite happily have been co-commentator. He was he was genuinely an expert. Obviously, the 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 draw with him was the fact that it's Paul Heaton out of House Martin's Beautiful South, but he genuinely could have been there purely on Italian football knowledge. Uh, so I remember being actually quite shocked and a little bit awkward about the fact that this guy knew so much more than I did about my kind of especially subject so uh yeah he was amazing uh as you say Elvis Costello also a massive Italian football fan it was great to have him on I had Ardella Hanlon on uh and uh, a couple of times I think actually and as I say Brian Adams one of my proudest uh, proudest moments mm. how do you handle moments like that because again for a, a, a quote-unquote football show like very different to what you would see on traditional football shows well, now I think that's quite common. Though. I mean, Soccer AM, for example, will have a, a, a billion music stars or what have you. Uh, I think actually back in the day, probably even Saint Greasy would maybe mi mix it up a little bit in terms of the guests they would get on. Uh, it, I personally was quite starstruck. I mean, particularly uh, with Declan Manos, a.k.a. Elvis Costello. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was very exciting to have them on. Uh, also, because you knew it would it would be a big draw. Uh, you know, it would be exciting for, I think, viewers to see someone a little bit out of context turning up. Um, you know, as much as I enjoyed having Paul Elliott on, it was, it was pretty nice to have, whether it was Brian Adams or Elvis or, or Paul Heaton or whoever on it. Yeah, it's, it's a nice breath of fresh air. Um, yeah. You mentioned being starstruck, and I'm, I'm sure you, you know this story, but... Rio Ferdinand was talking about the first time he saw you at, at BT headquarters and he said he was shaking and he was very starstruck when he saw you because he yeah. immediately was just transformed back to when he was a child watching Gazetta growing up and thought, wow, that, that's the host of Gazetta. That's, that, that came across incredibly well in the documentary that BT Sport had made and I thought that was wonderful because it just showed you how much the show meant to people of that era, even guys like Rio, who had went on to have a great career in football themselves. Yeah, well, I'm stunned by that. I, Rio is such, such a, um, he's a, a very kind of, he's a very, very nice guy, but he's kind of quite a strong character, very composed, very, it uh, doesn't seem like the kind of guy to get starstruck. And if he, if he was in any way, I think he might have been being nice for the cameras, but if he was in any way taken aback by the fact that it was that bloke from his, from the, from the show you used to watch as a kid, I think, you know, I probably kind of um, managed to kind of blow that uh, within, the, within the first couple of sentences that we exchanged. Um, because, you know, as I say, being on TV can confer a weight or an authority to you that, that you know, in, in real life you might not necessarily possess. And I'm not too bothered about not having it in real life. I'm very delighted that it's enabled me to have a career, um, you know, it, it, on TV. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think were you to check back with Rio now about how starstruck he feels when he bumps into me in the BT corridor, uh, I, I suspect that that, that that might have worn off quite quickly. <laughs> in terms of the sketches, what are your favourites from memory? Uh, my favourite from looking back at the archives is the sketch you do with a great look of Viali with, there's the bald guy, <laughs> bald Italian football guy. That has weird stitches every time I watch it. Okay, which, I mean, the joke doesn't really work now because I am bald, whereas in those days I was pretending not to be, uh, you know, with diminishing success. Um, but yeah, excellent. My favourite, obviously Lombardo was something uh, oh, that... Because wow. he was so good, that little look he gives. Uh, the Lombardo... There's one with Paul Lynch... Sorry, with uh, Paul Gascoigne and his head in a chocolate Easter egg, which I've... I can't remember, but I remember that it ended with him 
with his head, entire head inside an Easter egg, which sounds like it was probably fun. The uh, David Platt as Terminator one I enjoyed, uh, which I don't know if you recall. Um, there was one where Gazza had left and Paul Ince had arrived, which we did to the, the notes of um, Forever Autumn by Justin Haywood, which was poignant, I think, uh, uh, but you know, also not. And there's one with Carol singing at Paul Ince's house that I really enjoyed. And again, I don't know what, what happens in it, but I remember at the time thinking uh, TV gold, TV gold. So if you have that in your archive, do, do let me know. I don't know, there were lots of, with Paul Ince, we had lots of, of fun ones actually. There was about a, a two year period when he was considering leaving Italy that I recall that we would constantly have kind of occasion to check back on what his decision had been. and that. That, as I recall, uh, led to some interesting intros. But I mean, you, you, I don't know. You, 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 you were. Um, what, which other ones did you recall? The, the, the. My favorite is just when Paul Gaza says, "I know the story about you and the goat." Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, as I say, he was he was a bit of a natural, Paul. Um, yeah. And what did you say, Paul? Yes, 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 yes. Sorry, I'm just basically rec recalling it now myself. Yeah, he, he, with with Paul Gascoigne, he, he's such a character. Is he the sort of person that, when you're working with him initially, it was for the links, but also for the sketches? When you're working with him, is he the sort of guy who you think you're, you you've planned something and he just totally takes it to another level because of the the fun that he has inside him? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Paul is uh, somebody who's I think not just very talented at, at entertaining people, at, at kind of playing to the crowd, but he's also incredibly uh, generous in the sense that he's not bothered about how something's going to look for his image or whatever. He just wants to kind of have fun and make people smile. And so I don't think there was ever a time that we said to Paul, would you like, you know, do we, we've got this, I, should we do this? That he went, no, that's, you know, Whereas most footballers would have, you almost wouldn't even have suggested things because you think there's no way they're going to do this. But Paul would say, "Yeah, sure, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, um, I'll film something with kitchen implements as sex toys or with my head in a chocolate egg or whatever it was that 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 we were doing." And and you know, we were those were both things that we did. Um, I don't think there was ever a time that he said no to anything. Um, it was, you know, I mean, it was it was great fun. I don't know if you can do that kind of thing with footballers now, whether agents and stuff get involved. But in those days, it seemed like, I mean, it, it was it wasn't always easy getting everything done. There was logistics. There was also trying to sort out interviews with players going through Italian press agents, which had its kind of nerve wracking moments. But by and large, it was just a much innocent, more sim a simpler time, uh, and and uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, really a special time. A few quick fire questions, James, before I let you go. And thank you for being so generous with your time. Favourite memories from a footballing perspective on the park of the Gazetta years, ones that just blew you away being there? Um, well, the, the, hmm. the, I mean, the games, you probably want a little bit of explanation as to why, but I remember a Sampdoria-Milan game when Hullet had moved to, to, to Sampdoria. Samp was still a force in those days. They were under Svenja and Eriksson. They'd won the title, what, I guess four or five years before. But they were, I mean, Milan were Milan. And Hullet, it was obviously a massive game for him. And he was still this dreadlocked figure, this incredible, you know, iconic uh, player from, from that era. And uh, Samp beat Milan, I think it was 3-1 at Marassi. Now, the Luigi Ferraris to give it a sufficient title in Genoa is obviously one of the most kind of British looking stadiums in, in Italy. There's a running track. It's, it's very compact, incredible atmosphere. And in, in those days, the, the, the spouty, the stands were all completely full. So it was an incredible atmosphere. We were covering it live. Um, and, uh, and Hullet scored this incredible goal. I think it was the third goal. And that was a great game. The, the, Inter Roma game that finished 5 4 down at the Stadio Olimpico. That was mad. The Rome derby when Rome destroyed Lazio to such an extent that Nesta refused to come out for the second half of the game. 
that I mean, these were all really, really special memories. Less happy but equally memorable was the um, Genoa Milan game when a, uh, a Milan fan, uh, sorry, a Genoa fan was was murdered by uh, visiting supporters, and, and there was this riot. And um, yeah, I mean, that all descended into a riot afterwards. The game was suspended. Um, bizarre situation afterwards in which um, I went outside being stupid with with the camera guy and said, "Well, you know, we'll probably need some shots for the Saturday morning show." Uh, I don't know why I didn't think we can just get some news footage. Well, anyway, we went to film some. Now, rioters don't like being filmed very much. <laughs> it, it's a general rule of thumb, and that became pretty apparent pretty quickly. Uh, so I, I was saying to the cameraman, don't film their faces, film over them towards the ring of police trying to protect the visiting supporters end, which is, you know, they were laying siege to the Milan fans end of the stadium. And uh, we were trying to try and get some shots there. Anyway, at a certain point, the cameraman returns from wherever he's gone off to, um, walking extremely hurriedly with a gang of about 30 people closing in on him from behind. And just to, as they get to me, one of them knocks the camera off the cameraman's shoulder Cameraman picks it back up and he and the sound guy jump into the, our car, which you know where I've been standing, and they drive off. But I, I'm actually still stood there. I'm not in the car. So now I've got this gang of 30 people uh, around me and, and, and yeah, somebody smacks me in the face and says, where's the tape? And I'm thinking this is going to get really ugly because the tape is in that car that's busy speeding away. So I basically say, uh, I, it's in the car. I'm just English. You know, we're not kind of... And the guys go, oh, you're English. Oh, right. Okay, well, hang on a second. Uh, and uh, they, they call one of the, the, the guy, ringleader, kind of called one of his lieutenants up and said, sort this guy out. And so I get this kind of escort through this war zone with kind of police cars smashed in and all this as we kind of exit the area around the Marathi uh, to the Karma streets. And then he makes sure that I get a taxi uh, and, and that I'm out of there. Okay. And I'm, as, I, as I recount that story, I'm aware of the fact that these days saying I'm English in Italy, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. It feels like maybe we burnt a lot of that credit. But one of the really nice things about the show was the extent to which uh, the Italians had love for the Italian game, or sorry, for the English game, a respect for English football, a respect for what they saw as the, the, the kind of principles of, 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 of British football, that it, of, of the sportsmanship and the, the, the kind of never say die attitude and, and, and the kind of, all those kind of, core beliefs and the character they felt that that, that was at the heart of the British game. Uh, that was a re really nice thing. And it, it helped in many ways for us to you know, get some of the access that we did to some of these players, you know, to say, yeah, we're from British TV. So, um, so anyway, sorry, I can't remember what the original question was. That was one of the memorable times. I mean, but obviously off the field, that just the chance to meet, I mean, of, of all the people, there was there were great people. There was like, I don't know, Van Basten and and Hulit and, 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 and uh, just so many people, Mancini, et cetera. But one guy above all, and that was Roberto Baggio, because just in terms of that, that otherness, the star quality, I mean, just, just to be standing there talking to Il Divino Codino was just blah, extraordinary, extraordinary. Which Italian team did you fall in love with and which Italian city as well? So my, my team was Roma before I went out there. And one of the things about working in, in football and trying to get and dealing with clubs and all that kind of thing was that it did impact a little bit on, um, it did impact a little bit because Roma were a miserable bunch at the time in terms of trying to deal with them. So, um, and the more you spoke to people, the more you kind of interviewed people or say we were doing a preview on, I don't know, Sampdoria Milan and like I say Hollywood has this thing so you talk to somebody and now you become a bit invested in their story so in as much as I remained a Roma fan that there were I became kind of I developed personal allegiances if you will with with um, with individuals uh, so I mean in, in the same and I, I kind of have the same feeling now I mean like if, if Carlo Ancelotti joins a club I will kind of become a little bit a fan of that club because he's he's such a top top guy um so yeah but in Roma were my club sorry short answer Roma were my club and in terms of cities oh, boy it's hard to pick uh Rome is an extraordinary city and I, I, I was lucky enough to live there I thought Verona was something amazing obviously everyone knows that Florence is just um, ridiculous <laughs> but in terms of places to go and film I loved going to Verona and I loved going to Genoa as well that especially that area slightly to the east of of general on the coast, 
a place called Nervi and Boliasco where Sampdoria were based and their, their, their training ground is just ridiculous. It's in this kind of little valley halfway up a mountain with the sea in the, the background and, and then you've got the top of a hill next to it there was this restaurant Il Tipico where Mancini used to basically go after training and hold court. Um, oh just amazing and then down at the bottom of the hill you've got Nervi this little fishing port just oh, yeah Genoa yeah and that whole kind of that whole coastline. The last question I've got for you, James, is similar to the question I asked Jonathan. He talked about Gazetta never being repeated. For mm. yourself, now near 20 years on almost, when you, when you look back at that era, how proud are you of it? And if you could press the rewind button and do it all again, would you? Uh, I wouldn't go back and do it all again because um, it, <clears throat> it worked out pretty well. I'd, I'd be kind of worried about screwing it up. Not that I would screw it up, but do you know what I mean? Like that period of, of, of my life went, was, I, what would I go back and change? Um, I, what was the first part of the question, sorry? So obviously how proud are you in uh, hindsight of the show? Yeah, no, so I'm really, um, I'm really proud to have, have, have been part of that show. I find it slightly perplexing that I was in it um also because by now it's quite a long time ago so it's almost like another life you know it was it was kind of such a you know I was working in London as this kind of tv bloke production bloke and then all of a sudden I was presenting a show in Italy so it was so much of a change that the whole thing was almost like a a 10-year parenthesis in my life and then I came back and you know real life and wakey wakey so looking back I do find it slightly surreal trying to connect that with the rest of my life um, but obviously I'm really, really proud of the show. Uh, I'm so appreciative of the fact that it had such a, um, that it seems to have meant a lot for a lot of people. I mean, obviously everyone was too young to know any better at the time and, and, and there wasn't much on in terms of an alternative, but it's really nice. The fact that it has, uh, still like a, it, it still gets this, it brings warm, fuzzy feelings apparently for a lot of people. And certainly for me, when I look, when I see some of those, those old clips, um, I think that one of the reasons it was it was successful was the fact that it never, you know, there was a there was a certain link between the program and, and the people who watched it. And part of it was the incredible football, part of it was Italy, part of it was the ice creams, but part of it was the fact that it was a, a show that featured all those elements. But also, um, it was a bit of a club that we have with the viewers, you know. And I, I think I think you can still do shows like that, and I think you could still do a. Uh, you could still bring that approach. It doesn't even have to be about football. Um, there are loads of good shows out there at the moment. There's nothing quite like Gazetta was, but the, the world has moved on. But I think you can still make shows that way. And, 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 and you know, to be fair, people do. <laughs> James, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, and thank you for your time today. And also thank you for the, the great work that you still do with Totally and BT Goals as well. You're very, very kind, Callum. Thank you very much for, her, for, for all the interesting questions. And um, and yeah, where are you actually using this? Sorry, this is a podcast, no? Yes, yes. Um, like so, well, I'll just. So we'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make our home in a deep sea cave and our shells will all be open. They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song. We'll dive down to the ocean. And we'll make her home in a deep sea cave And her shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be